Turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 19. I'm going to give you a fair warning that I have two sermons in my head. One that I'm preaching this morning and one I'm preaching tonight. So if I go from one to the next without a break, for those of you that can't make it tonight, maybe you just get two sermons here once and you can take your extra credit and go home. All right. Um, and I'll speak through them very quickly so you can get both of them in the same amount of time. I'm just kidding. Um, but if I get off of the subject matter of Jesus and the rich young ruler, just interrupt me and tell me, hey, save it for tonight. Uh, Dumbo, or whatever else you want to call me, that's fine. Uh, but for those of you that are going to be with me this, this morning, we're going to go to Matthew chapter 19. You can see this account found in the Gospel of Mark. You can also find it in Luke chapter 18. And here's what we're doing today. We're starting a series of questions. I mentioned this prior to leaving for Florida, and then it kind of... Uh, you know, was heavy on my heart as I was in Florida and then coming home. And this series is titled, I'm glad you asked. I'm glad you asked. Maybe you've used that with your kids. You know, why is this happening? Well, I'm glad you asked. And then you inform them why they're not grown like they really think they are. Or you, you've used this phrase. So we're using this phrase, glad you asked. And we are looking at the questions that people asked Jesus. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at his response because in his response, we're going to find a few things. We're going to find more of his nature and his character, but we're also going to find ways that he instructs us in his responses to these questions that in order to have eternal life, in order to be a stronger Christian in our faith, or to know him more. Now, one thing I'll tell you to do as you read your Bible, this is something we do in our home. Whenever we read the Bible, there's always three things that we look for. Whenever my girls and I, we sit down and, and we read the Bible and, and they have no idea what it's saying, I always instruct them to look for three things every single page that you read. Those three things are, as you read the Bible, as you pray that God would reveal to you more of who he is, more of what he is about, and more of who you are to be in him. So those three things you can find in every page, more of who God is, what is God about? Is God about justice, injustice, so on and so forth? And who am I to be in him? And today we're going to start right here in Matthew chapter 19, starting in verse 16. And we're going to read a few passages of scripture. I got two points today, two big points. And we want to look at those. And we're going to pull from Matthew chapter 6, as well as Ephesians chapter 2. And we're going to put it all together. So starting in verse 16 here, Matthew chapter 19, behold, a man came up to him saying, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, why do you ask me about, or about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you, were, if you would enter life, keep the commandments. And he said to him, which ones? Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these I have kept, what do I still lack? Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possession. And Jesus said to his disciples, truly, I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. That's it. That's where I want to stop. Here's what I want to instruct you for just a second. There's a lot of stats out there that you can read. And if you Google, you can Google anything. 
Half of it's lies, half of it's truth, half of it's a good combination of, of whatever people want. But if you were to Google what is the, you know, the average worldwide income, it's not very high. In fact, I think it was around like $12,000 a year was the average worldwide income. So if you were to make more than that, you're over half of the world. And I think the, the latest studies were if you make anywhere between like forty five dollars and $85,000 a year, you are in the top 2% of the world or 3% of the world. So for those of you that are in here, the average salary in America is like $62,000. The average salary in some of these countries are like $1,000. So if you and I are here today and, and for the first time maybe in our lives, I'm going to tell us we are rich. Oh yeah, we're rich. My wallet doesn't say so. In fact, my wallet's so empty, I don't even carry it anymore. Like, oh, I need an ID. I forgot it at home. I, I don't have it. I, I get pulled over, I'm in trouble because I don't carry my wallet. Why, is, why do I carry something that's always empty? Um, but because of the worldwide wealth and incomes, we may not be rich here in America. We may be lower than the average in America. But when we talk about worldwide wealth, you and I, all Americans, not all Americans, but a lot of Americans are actually considered to be rich. Which, if there was a passage of Scripture that targeted Americans more than any other passage of Scripture, this may be perfect for us. Where Jesus addresses a man who had great wealth, many possessions, who could not do away with them. And that's where I want to go to today. In this particular text, we're going to see a problem addressed, and not necessarily a practice that we all have to follow, but a problem that is addressed. And the first point is, my first big point is this, you and I can do nothing. And I'll expound on that for a little bit. But for those of you husbands that have heard that all week, let me just remind you again, you and I can do nothing. And maybe it's just in my home, I hear that more than, than others. But you and I can do nothing when it comes to saving ourselves. You and I can do nothing when it comes to saving ourselves. What I mean by that is who draws us to himself? God. The Bible tells us that no one is saved, no one is, comes to him unless they are first drawn by him, right? So God draws us to him. Who does the drawing? God. God draws us to him, and then he reveals to us by an extension of his grace that you and I are sinners, and, and apart from Christ as our Savior and our Redeemer, you and I would be sentenced to eternal damnation in a place known as hell. Who is it that draws us? God. Who is it that reveals to us that we are sinners and we are broken people, dead in our sins and trespasses? God. Who is it that took it upon himself to go and to die on a cross to pay the ultimate punishment for our sin and to pay the wages in full? And who is it that left the tomb empty so that you and I who were once dead in our sins could be raised to life in Christ? Who did all of that? God. Now you can argue, well, I do do some part. I do make the decision to call upon the name of Christ. I do make the decision to do this. I do make the decision to do that. But when it comes to the, tr the pure salvation of your soul, you and I literally are helpless on our own. So apart from Christ, you and I can do nothing. So this particular man comes to Jesus and he asks him, hey, what good deed shall I do? What good deed can I do to inherit eternal life? Essentially, in today's language, he's asking, hey, Jesus, what can I do? What good deeds can I do? Or what works can I perform in order to be saved? What can I do to be saved? And Jesus says, well, keep the commandments and then go and sell all that you have and give to the poor. 
So this man asks Jesus, what can I do to be saved? He's looking for some kind of measuring mark. What can I do? If I do this, I know I'm good. If I do this, I know I have eternal life. If I do this, similar to a lot of people that walk in churches today, well, if I have a good church attendance record, if I give in the offering plate, or if I serve in this capacity or another, we want to use these religious measuring marks to, as a means of our own faith. And what Jesus is essentially saying is there is no work that you can perform to ever inherit eternal life. What did Paul say in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 9, or 8 through 10? He said, by grace through faith, we are saved not by what? Works. Because in works, one may boast. So by grace through faith, you may be saved. So if you are here today and you are saved, it is simply by the grace of God you are saved. If you are here today and you are not saved, and one day, maybe, you know, any time between today and the rest of your life, you become saved and you inherit this eternal life and, and you receive salvation found in Christ, you are only able to receive that because of God's grace. So there is no work that you and I can ever do. So we can't say, okay, this year I had a 94% church attendance record and I gave this many hundreds or, or tens or thousands of dollars to the church or to this Christian organization or to that outreach. And, and then I served in this capacity or that capacity or this area or that area. All of those, here's what I want to tell you. They are both irrelevant and important at the exact same time. Any measuring marks that we try to apply to our salvation are irrelevant. Now, whenever church attendance and offerings and service, yes, they are critically important for the spiritual well-being of you. They're, they're critically important for the spiritual maturity that you and I will endure for the rest of our lives here on this earth, but they are irrelevant when it comes to our salvation. You and I can never attend church enough to earn God's grace or his favor. You and I can never give enough money and just empty our pockets enough in order to inherit or receive his free gift of eternal life. You and I can never serve enough hours. We can never put the food on enough tables to truly inherit eternal life. All of those things are works that we do because of the grace that has been extended to us through Christ, and we have received him by our faith in him. But they are irrelevant in the means of salvation critically important in the process and in the, in the means of sanctification or your spiritual maturity, where you go from where you were at the moment of conversion until the moment in which you die, as you try and try and try and try to be a greater representation of Christ. So the first big point is you and I can do nothing to save ourselves. Nothing. We can do nothing. The second big point that I want to make is that you and I can do everything to see ourselves not saved. So we can do nothing to save ourselves, but we can do everything when it comes to seeing ourselves not saved. And I want to just look at Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 on the Sermon of the Mount, Jesus gives us a beautiful little warning and he says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Let me just ask, anybody ever had to replace anything on your vehicle? Just raise your hand. Maybe more than once. 
Anybody ever thrown the tool down the hill that you were using to replace something on your vehicle? Now you're out of that part and the tool. Just, you know, you broke the lawnmower when you kicked it. So now you, now you need another lawnmower or another weed eater. Um, anybody just, you know, you've ever replaced something in your house. Anybody have to replace a furnace? You know, and, and your entire year's income is just, you know, down the drain. Here we go. Jesus says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy it, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, your heart will be also. He goes on to say, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And he ends in verse 24 in this particular passage of scripture. He says, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Let me just ask you, who here enjoys money? I enjoy money. I'll be the first to admit, I enjoy being able to keep the the electric on in the home. I enjoy being able to fill up my car and I enjoy being able to, to go and to do these things. I enjoy being able to, to live comfortably at times in life and I enjoy to, to go on trips and I enjoy a lot of things that require money. So what Jesus is getting at here is he is getting at an issue that so many people and maybe more Americans than any other particular country in the world is this issue of idolatry and so many people may hold on to it and they not even recognize it. So one, re- one way you can ask yourself or kind of examine, am I living with a sinful heart of idolatry? If there is something or someone you could just not live without, there is a good chance they have become an idol. And I said something or someone. You know, there, I, I couldn't imagine living without my wife and my kids. I get it. You can't imagine living without certain people, but my wife nor my kids saved me. Christ does. There's going to be a time where my wife and I might find ourselves apart here on earth because we said so vows until death do us part. So there's going to be a time in which her and I do separate. I always say that I hope that she goes first because she couldn't make it without me. Um, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding about that. She's probably like, please, Lord. Um, but there are other things that you and I just could not envision our life without. I mean, I just can't cannot envision my life without this or without that. And, and so here's the thing. If there is something in your life that you just could not function if it were taken away from you, even coffee and food or money or your possession, that item that you have and that you, you, know, you find your identity in, if there is something or someone that you could just not function without, there is a chance that particular thing or person has become an idol. What do we do? We idolize even our children or our, or our spouses or people in our life because we exalt them above Christ and we spend all of our energy exalting them and by growing them. And, or then when it comes to money or any earthly treasure or pleasure, if there is something in our lives that we just could not imagine living without, there is a chance it has become an idol and it is robbing us of joy and it is preventing us from experiencing the intimacy that we are called to live with with the Lord. So you and I can do everything when it comes to seeing ourselves not saved. What does that mean? 
just like this man did. He comes up to Jesus and he says, what do I do to be saved? Jesus says, this is what you do. The, man said, the Bible says that this man went away in what manner? Sorrowful, sorrowful. He just could not envision life without his wealth or without his possession. It was clear that this man was likely a religious man, a Pharisee, many believe, because he was keeping the law. He was obeying the law. He was well aware and instructed in the law. So so he knew the religious part of it. But when Jesus addresses the condition of his heart in which he possessed things or, or homes or whatever it may have been that he held near and dear to his heart, he just could not imagine his life without it. So we have to understand that there are things in this life that can become idols. What does an idol take from us? Well, it robs us from the intimacy that you and I can experience with the Lord. Idolatry robs intimacy all the time because you and I try to hold on to earthly things and heavenly things at the exact same time. And Jesus said pretty clearly that you and I cannot serve what? Two masters at the same time. We can't serve God and money at the same time. We can't serve God and building the bigger, better, fancier house at the same time. We can't serve God and work the 90 hours a week because we got to make a name for ourselves at the same time. We can't serve God and then exhaust ourselves and our resources trying to raise these kids and do this thing and that 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 thing. We can't serve God and then work on our self-image and just spend all of our time trying to present ourselves as something that we may not really be. We cannot at the exact same time serve two things. So here's just a few earthly things that I wrote down that people can hold on to. And here's what happens. If we hold on to these things, we cannot hold on to the heavenly treasures that the Lord came to offer. Free time. I mean, we only get so much free time. And this is an earthly thing, an earthly treasure for many people, an earthly pleasure. What does our free time look like? If our free time is all about me or my interests or my hobbies and never about sacrificing for the advancement of the kingdom, never sacrificing for the service of the church, never sacrificing to be the hands and feet of Christ and sacrificing our time for the people in this world that God has called us to love and to minister to, there's a good chance that our free time is being spent in the wrong way. And those things that we are using our free time on are likely becoming idols in our hearts and things that are preventing us from truly following Christ. One of our free time elements is Sunday as the only day off. You'll see a lot of people here, a lot of people say, well, Sunday's my only day off. Sunday's my only day off. It's the only time that I have. And if we aren't careful, that will become an idol that will prevent a lot of people from truly following Jesus because they want to spend their little bit of free time that they have, their one day off doing things that only they love to do and that do not glorify the Lord in any way. Money can become an idol. We spend all of our hours working. We spend all of our hours trying to invest in this. We spend all of our energy and our, and our focus trying to find the next job or the next promotion or the next pay raise or, or the next home or the next car or the next possession. And we exhaust ourselves physically and mentally just to hold the dollar. And here's the one thing that I've never seen at a funeral. Maybe they might do this one day, but I've never gone to a funeral and say, hey, here is so-and-so and this was his net worth. 
This is how much money he had in savings. These are all of his 401k investments. Never do I have ever been in a, never have I ever been to an experience like that. I've gone into a lot of services, a lot of funerals, and people just talk about the time that they spent or the service that this particular person had, you know, had committed to the church or to the Lord. Never do we ever go in and we hear about, man, he owned all these homes or she owned all these or all that. So money becomes an idol that will hold on to us. Our hobbies can become an idol. Our career can become an idol because we will exhaust ourselves to take that next step. And when we take that next step, it's not quite high enough. So we got to continue moving. We got to continue going this way. Our image can become an idol. Even immorality or sin can become an idol because we just so comfortably live in sin and we find so much pleasure in sin and immorality that we just continue to find ourselves in it and we can't let go of it. Therefore, it's robbing us of intimacy with the Lord. Materialism, I mean, the list could go on and on and on of earthly things, earthly treasures, earthly pleasures that will rob us from the intimacy that, that Christ desires to spend with us. So this man asks, Jesus instructs him, and Jesus is addressing the the issue of idolatry in this man's heart. So I just want to ask you, what could it be that's keeping you from truly following Christ? What is it that you just cannot let go of? What is it that you just cannot see yourself going without? What is it that you just could not envision life without? Because what did Jesus say in Matthew chapter six? He says, do not store yourself up treasures where moth rust and and, and thieves destroy. Because every earthly possession that you and I have, if you haven't noticed already, maybe, you know, I just paid attention to it. We sweep and we mop or we try to dust. Do you know that dust comes back like every single day? Every single week, it builds back up on the stinking ceiling fan. I got to get up there. I got to get the, get the step ladder because I'm, you know, got to make me quite tall enough to, to reach it. And I, I get up there and we got to wipe the ceiling fan down. And guess what? The next stinking week, I got to get the step ladder out and I've got to go wipe the ceiling fan down. Or, you know, the car... If you have kids in cars, it's just pointless to try to clean them uh, because you vacuum that thing out and you wipe that thing down. And by the next day, those goldfish that you had in the sealed package are all over. And they're no longer goldfish. They're gold crumbs everywhere. And, and they're just everywhere. And what happens, things just ruin over time. Or that beautiful house that we build and, and we spent all this money on and all this time on. And we worked all these extra hours and, and, and all of this overtime, and we, we, you know, we said no to, to little Susie and her bake sale because we had to build this or to save for that. And what happens? Well, we got to replace the roof now, or, or we got to replace the furnace, or, or now we got to get a new septic, or, or we got to, I mean, the list goes on and on and on and on because all of these earthly things that you and I can possess are simply things that go bad over time. They're just things that will rot away over time. They're things that if we aren't careful, we will worship and we will exalt. Now, here's what Jesus did not say. So don't please, please don't leave here saying, well, I got to sell my house. I got to live in the van. I got to do this down by the river and all this stuff. No, that's not what I'm saying. All right. Jesus never said that all Christians have to go and sell all their possessions in order to follow him. But if your possessions are robbing you from following Christ, 
Maybe it's not a bad idea. Now, if your home is robbing you, if, if it's putting you in a financial bind where you can't pay your bills or you don't know how things are going to work, maybe there are things that you could get rid of. This was not a practice that Jesus commanded that in order to be my disciple, you have to sell all your possessions and give to the poor. He didn't say that all money was bad. The Bible's very clear that not all money's bad, but the, the love of money is what? The root of all kinds of evil. It's the love of money. It's the love of earthly treasures and earthly pleasures. So this was not a command or a practice that we are all to follow. He's just simply addressing a problem that a lot of people possess, especially in America, that we spend all of our lives trying to build, 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 buy, buy, buy. And Christ is asking us to just simply find ourselves experiencing an intimate relationship with him. So what is it in your life that may be holding on to you or you are trying to hold on to it? And here's my last warning. My last warning and then I'll, I'll stop. My last warning is this. You and I may not have the benefit that this man had. This man was wealthy. This man had it all. Jesus says, get rid of it, sell it, and go. Then you can have eternal life. The man walked away from Jesus, right? Well, what you and I don't have the benefit of, as this man did, you and I will stand before Jesus one day. We will. But we won't have the opportunity to just walk away sorrowful. Because when you and I stand before the Lord one day, we may end up sorrowful, but there's not going to be an opportunity for us to just walk away, consider it back home, and then repent of that later. There's going to be a time in which you and I all stand before the Lord one day. And if we aren't careful, we will hold on to so many earthly pleasures and earthly treasures that it will rob us from truly following Christ. And because of that, things that we couldn't let go of will actually lead us into an eternal punishment that will never let go of us. Never. So if we aren't careful, we'll, we'll just pursue and we'll chase and we'll chase and we'll chase all of our lives. And then we're going to stand before Jesus one day, each and every one of us, after we breathe our last breath and, and on the day of judgment, however this is going to look and exactly how it's going to play out, we're all going to stand before him and give an account and we're going to hear one of two things, either depart from me or welcome home. That's it. But regardless of what we hear, there is not an opportunity for us to go home, reconsider, and then repent of those particular things. So here's just my invitation for you today. This is just my thought for you to consider. If there's anything that you that, that is robbing you of intimacy with Christ, I ask you to just simply let it go and repent of it. If, if you are holding on to earthly pleasure or treasures or things that you just could not see your life without, I'm just asking that you let them go. I'm just asking that you consider the fact that you're going to stand before Jesus one day and you're going to be judged based off your faith and your relationship with him. But this man went away sorrowful. And like Jesus said, it is very difficult for a rich man to enter his kingdom. And if there's anything that's preventing you from truly following Jesus, I ask that you let it go and you repent and you just simply ask him to forgive you of this idolatry, forgive you of this lifestyle, forgive you of these hobbies that are, that are just keeping you held captive and robbing you of that relationship that Jesus came, died for, and rose from the grave to offer. So that you and I can leave here no longer holding on to these earthly things. And we can truly take hold of and possess the heavenly treasures that the Lord is able to give. Let's pray.